Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There was something silly like 100 to 200 Ferraris nicked over the space of three weeks. Wow, I thought it was like 30. 60 or 70% of our cars that we'd purchased had come through social media. With the majority of the market, the reason you buy it is you want to be seen, you want to be heard. I don't know what it is, but it's so easy to nick Range Rover. Range Rovers were probably our most popular selling SUVs a couple of years ago. We have seen people who left a deposit on, on a Range Rover of ours and then a week later they've had to pull out because they're, they're, it's impossible to get insurance. London, you hear about it so much because you see a supercar in every corner. The last few years, you've been on quite a journey. Realistically, I'd have given myself probably about five years. Once I valued health more than wealth, I realised that, do you know what, I'm making excuses. So what's next on your journey? World domination. The goal is to be the number one supplier of these cars. Everything has a figure. One thing we quickly realised within the luxury market is... George, I have no doubt that many people watching would have seen you pop up on their phone if they have any interest in automotive or cars in their lifetime, whether that be on TikTok, Instagram, or on somebody else's Instagram because you've sold them something ridiculously cool. Um, I'm amazed that you said yes to coming down here to GVE. Thank you so much. It's been wicked to have a look around the showroom. But for those viewers that might not know who you are sat here, in your own words, who are you and what do you do? I am the sales director of GVE London. We specialise in supercars, luxury cars. Um, just across some of our clientele, I'd like to say they're some of the best people across the world, some business owners, some very interesting people, um, similar to people you like to have on your podcast and um, some very entertaining and famous people at the same time. So, um, yeah, it's not just cars that we buy and sell. We also detail them, service them, we work on them in the body shop, we customise them. So it's a one-stop shop for everything luxury and supercar. 
And it's fair to say that I definitely see your face attached to the GVE brand across social media. And you've put in an immense amount of work to grow in that brand over the last few years. And I think anybody sees a piece of gold with a car come up and they immediately make the connection if they know anything about that automotive space. But you can't just become the sales director of one of London's largest supercar dealers overnight. So when you were younger, did you have any interest in cars? What sparked off your automotive flair? Loved cars. Uh, always loved cars. I mean, I used to religiously watch Top Gear and study all the cars that would come on there, buy the Top Gear magazines. I'd look at every other automotive journalist and every other program you can think of. That was the closest I could get to supercars because um, I came from fairly humble beginnings. I um, was surrounded by a middle-class family with with average things around life, but never really had that access to supercars. So if I ever saw something going past, whether it was a Ferrari or a Lambo, I had every single bit of knowledge about it. And I used to be like, I, I would love to go and see it, love to go touch it, love to go and be in there, but didn't quite actually realise how close I could be to them, um, which is... Yeah, I never thought I'd be working with supercars going forward. Um, my initial route in terms of my career was always meant to be down uh, the law graduate path. So I was meant to go down through um, university, get my LLB and then become a barrister. That was that was the initial aim. But um, yeah, quite a funny story, actually, how I ended up getting involved in cars. It was, uh, it was a part time job to begin with and then gradually moved on to to where I am. So have you always lived in this area? Have you always been around London? Because as we know, there's a lot of supercars in and around London. It can always spark that run up and have a look at them. I literally had someone run up to mine yesterday and I love showing this kid around the Lambo. So have you always been in this area around London and got to know the car scene? Yeah, I was born and brought up in London. I was um, born and brought up in West London and um, then had a stint in North London for a bit as well. Um, that's while I was at uni and just before as well during college and then came back to West London now. So, I mean, when you talk about people running up and, and the spotters and so on going to see cars, I was never that sort of person. I mean, I've all respect for them whatsoever, but I think maybe I was a bit too shy to do that. I wouldn't really want to run up to someone else's car and go and see that, but I always had that enthusiasm towards supercars. I just love to know how they operate. I'd love to know the noises they make. I'd love to know how it felt to be within one and what the the actual performance of driving one is like. So that was my main real aim with cars is to be in them and see how they drive and what that speed through your likes is. I'm a speed demon. I do love a bit of speed. So a shy sales director, that's not something that you normally come across. So was, does that just mean that you were shy growing up in that period where you started to love top watching top gear and loving cars? When, when, did that maybe change? Because I definitely wouldn't say that the person that comes across to the rest of us on social media right now is the shy guy. Well, do you know what? When when you see kids out there and they go and approach cars and they say, I want to take a picture or I'd like to go and see um, inside the car, I think fair play to them. You get You get kids who are the age of five or six years old and they've built up the courage to go and speak to millionaires and whoever else who, who are driving these awesome cars. And I'm thinking... I wouldn't have done that at that age. I'd probably be thinking that guy's way too busy to speak to me or that guy hasn't got the time of the day to to let me go and see the car. So when I say shy, I don't mean in, in essence that I wouldn't speak to them. It's just that I, I probably didn't think I would gain their time 
to be able to go and see the car or go and actually speak to them or sit inside their car. And what made you think that way? Was there an instant or was it, because that's quite a, a closed mindset and most things that, oh, it's just going to be negative if that happens when I go in over there now. And when I see everything that you're doing now with the GVE brand, as you said, you're not just doing sales, you went into servicing, you went into detailing, you went into adding body parts, performance, all the bits that go around the brand is someone that's got a really open blue sky brain. So where do you think you you kind of changed a little bit or do you think you have i think you adapt right that's just life that's how the human mindset is um is set out to be you try and adapt to your lifestyle you try and adapt to your circumstances and i've always been quite a talkative character similar to yourself i've always been someone who likes conversing with other people and knowing about them and i, I think that fits in quite well with sales because when you're selling something, yeah, the entry level sales job is just to sell a product and you go on from there and the product sells itself. However, when it comes to luxury sales and the industry that we're in, it's a lot more about learning about people, building a relationship, um, getting to know what they like. So you can make sure that you are their main point of contact when it comes to them buying or selling something. So you learn and you grow over time. And that's one thing that I'm a firm believer of is that you can never stop really growing, um, whether that's through knowledge or whether that's through skills. You're not what you're destined to be. It's what you make yourself to be. So you mentioned that your journey in car started with a part-time job. So that would have been the start of you growing. So what did that look like? Um, that it was an interesting time within my life, actually. So the the vision when I started part-time was never that this is the industry I'm going to go into. So I just need to go all guns blaring. And, and was that part-time here? It's part-time here. Yeah. So, um, I was doing my final exams in law school at the time and started part-time as a purchasing assistant. And then eventually, yeah, I just ended up out purchasing my purchasing manager and then got into sales and then outsold my sales manager. And I guess the real reason as to why I was so successful within the field was because I didn't treat it like work. It was a passion for me. So one of the first questions you asked me was, did I always like cars? Yes, I loved cars. I would live and breathe them. I, the same way when it came to work and it was a case of having to find cars and having to research about cars in terms of selling them. I wouldn't just go into the office and treat it like a nine to five and think, do you know what? I'm done. I'm going to go to the pub. I'm going to have a beer with my mates and not think about work until the morning. It was a case of walk away, really invest my whole time and my whole life into what I'm doing. And I think had I not been like that, there's no way I'd be where I am today. That's quite interesting because I don't meet many other people that are, that don't have that mindset and go on to be successful. But basically the thing that sparked you realizing that you could get to the next level and the next level was the fact that you were basically outperforming everybody. Yeah. I wouldn't say it's, um, a case of a... You were deliberately... It just happened. Yeah, you just, just wanted to. You were passionate and naturally. So you'd say that you naturally rose to the top within the business. I think work ethic was a big thing to play within that. Um, like I'm saying, I didn't just restrict myself to working within the office. I was doing deals outside. I was doing deals on the weekend. I was doing deals when I was meant to be at uni. And um, that's when it really clicked within me that, you know what, this is what I want to do going forward. This is what I can see myself doing for many years to come. I don't want to be going to uni or going into a court case, researching about previous cases. I don't thrive off that. I don't, that doesn't put a smile on my face. And a big thing that I really learned um, 
was, was super important to me is that I need to be happy with what I do. And going forward, I want to wake up in the morning, not be like, I can't be asked for today. I want to wake up in the morning, raring to go, ready to think, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I was doing yesterday. And this is how I'm going to close it today. And this is the next deal I'm going to line up. And you almost fall asleep dreaming about these deals and you wake up with a solution to how this is how I'm going to do this. And this is what I'm going to plan to do for the rest of the day. So, um, I mean, that mindset, which went from purchasing, then moved on to sales has now come into more of a constructive um, growth strategy is how can we try and grow it? How can we make it bigger? How can we get into the next phase of hypercars and whatever else? So, yeah. And that's where you're going with it now. You just keep 100 mile an hour. Oh yeah. I think we've grown so big over the past few years that we, everything else sort of takes time for it to catch up alongside how, how the company's performing. And I think the infrastructure within the company needs to catch up. The staffing uh, within the company needs to catch up. So there is a lot, of growth that's happened over the past few years, but for us to get to the next level, um, I do feel that, um, it'll happen eventually. It will happen eventually, but it will take a lot of work. So you mentioned the fact that you've got to be pushing, got to be selling more hypercars. That's where you want to be going. So that leads me nicely to ask, well, what was the first sale? What was the one that made it start? Do you remember the first car that you sold at GVA? The very first car I sold, I remember it. Clearly, it was a 997 Generation 2 uh, Carrera 2S. So nothing too special at the time. However, this was my first sale. And um, my sales manager at the time had just uh, handed his notice in. I think he was in a relocate. He was moving away from London. And it was almost a case of, do you know what? Have a go. See what happens. And to date, I still say this was one of my easiest sales. I walked downstairs, I spoke to her. She was a soap actress, um, sat downstairs, had a really quick conversation, went through finance figures, and she just turned around and be like, I'm not happy with the interest rates. Looked around the car, talked about it. I knew everything about it because it's a study pretty much every car we had in stock. And 15 minutes later, she sent the full money across. She's like, can I take it now? I walked upstairs and I still I vividly remember his words. And he was like, every deal is not going to be that easy. <laughs> And it was almost said with a smirk on his face, like, I can't believe you just did that. Um, but yeah, that was that. Was Do you remember how you celebrated? I didn't celebrate. You just on to the next day. Yeah, on to the next one. I was like, Do you know, what? I've got the taste of it now. Now it's just, um, how do I become a master at this? Do you think you'd be able to answer it if I quickly said, how many deals do you think you've done at GVA? Way too many. I've never really tried to calculate it, but yeah, way too many. It brings me on nicer. You mentioned the first, the soap actress you sold your first Porsche to, bought the car outright. And for the last few years, we've been in a world where interest rates have been rising. We've gone from last year, 95% of people would purchase a car on finance to this year, where I believe it's down to 82% of people will purchase a car on finance. So how are you seeing the space change because of the interest rates, especially with the stuff that say between 80K to 200K and then maybe 300K and beyond? What does that kind of look like in the way people purchase? So firstly, I'd say anyone who's spending 300K and above, they don't have to rely on finance. It's almost just, um, it's almost an option that they have. So they can choose that they'd like to finance the car as opposed to pay for it outright. So at the moment, I think with the interest rates where they are, they are paying incredible amounts of interest, especially at that sort of level. However, it depends on what that client does. 
So if they're into stocks, if they're into trading, if they're into, if they own a business that requires a surplus amount of cash input every year, then maybe they value having that cash sat in their account and paying the odd 11% APR rates, which they could probably churn over two or three times if they put that money, that lump sum of money into their business or into another investment. So yes, we have seen a reduction in the amount of people who are financing cars, um, not necessarily in terms of the applications, but I say definitely in terms of the amount of people who are getting accepted on finance as well. There's some people who were stretching themselves maybe a year or two ago with a sudden COVID boom and there was a lot of money coming into the market um, who are now struggling a bit. So it's probably catching up on them. Their accounts aren't looking so strong. So rates going up isn't really causing us that much damage in terms of um, finance sales, but I'd say the acceptance is definitely falling down. Would you say at the minute across the whole, say take London supercar scene and sales, would you say there's more cars coming into stock or more cars being sold? Definitely offered more cars at the moment. That's for sure. I mean, if we, if we were talking about a year ago or two years ago, there was a massive shortage of cars, almost impossible to, to find the right spec car and people paying insane premiums. I'll give you an example. There were G63s, facelift G63s that were trading £50,000 over list. I vividly remember I sold a G63 for £50,000 over list, which is insane. As I'm saying it, I'm thinking back to it. How the hell could you sell a G63 for fifty grand over list? And now they're going for list at most, maybe five grand over list. So um, that yeah. whole space is changing. The market has changed massively. And I think the important thing to remember here is it's the type of car. So the reason I'm so surprised about the G63 is it's a generic super SUV. There's nothing limited about it. There's nothing. They're everywhere weird. in London. Absolutely everywhere across the world, everywhere you go. I mean, yeah, anywhere I go on holiday, I see G63. It's the most popular car out there. And I'd get it. If it were something like the Performante yeah, or something like a G63 squared, something that's a bit more limited in nature going for that, that much over list. It makes complete sense, but for a generic model like that to be going for that much. Eurus's did it to begin with, right, though? I think at the peak of it, they got to 50 grand over list. The Eurus was a funny one. They were released and they they were going for maybe 10 or 20 over list, then dropped down to list and then went massively up after the COVID boom. So um, funny market that. Because I uh, tried to do a deal with a dealer in London not too long ago uh, for, it was my AMG and... 458. He was a dealer. I don't want to name him on the thing, just to be fair, but um, around the M25. And it was the AMG and the 458 together, uh, gash purchase in return for an 812. And I didn't really want to put anything in. And I'd kind of valued the AMG at about 90, 95, and the 458 at about 140. How many miles on the GTR? uh, 10K, I want to say. That's fair. Yeah. And the, the 458, I wanted to do a basically a straight swap for a 812 in black they had available. And I was trying I know to know the dealer. And I don't think they were interested in doing it. Never said it because the 812 was on SOR and they'd have had to make a cash purchase for both my vehicles to do it. Would you say that you see that kind of thing? Because I was quite surprised. It's like, I want to buy an 812 super fast. Yeah. They don't really want to sell it to me because they have to buy the two cars into stock, which they're not interested in doing, rather than trying to, of course, try to SOR both of my cars to then buy another one SOR. Is that a game that you have to kind of play with your cash? It's understandable. 
as to why they've done that. I think SOR is a more risk-free way of trying to take stock in. However, I mean, I'd look at it if I were in that position and I was the, the dealer trying to sell that 812 to you. Um, I wouldn't have said, you have to give us those cars on SOR and then we'll give you the 812. I would have said, you have two options, Ben. You can either put this much money on top of those two cars because we'd still buy it. Everything has a figure. They didn't even give me that option, which yeah, I was surprised so about. That's surprising. I was surprised. I was like, come on, try and tell me that it's 10 grand and you can do the deal. Or it's yeah. like nothing. Everything has a figure. So you can come to me with this van right now and say, well, I'll part exchange it again. You're something. thinking about it. <laughs> yeah. It has a figure. When it's it has got a aircon next week. <laughs> <laughs> Would you say then, so we spoke about insurance, the kind of getting through all the nitty gritty bits of the car market now, what's going on with finance? Something that's being talked about all over the internet. You must have seen the video of matey with his jammer in a pista going through London. Is the fact that London's what seems to be car scene of Range Rovers and Ferraris being stolen left, right and centre at the minute, is that having an effect on that particular market? For Land Rovers, sure. I mean, Range Rovers were probably our most popular selling SUVs a couple of years ago. And with the amount of them that are being nicked um, and the amount of them that you hear being picked up off the streets in London, it has caused a massive price increase in the insurance premiums on, on Land Rovers. So we have seen people who have, say, left left a deposit on, on a Range Rover of ours and then a week later they've had to pull out because they're, they're, it's impossible for them to get insurance. So now the rule is if you don't have a gated driveway or a secure garage, you pretty much can't get insurance on a Range Rover in London. How hasn't Range Rover sorted that out? They're sorting it out, but I think it's it's been so lazy of them for the past it's 10 late, years. Isn't it? 10 years at least, because it's been a massive thing for, for Land Rovers getting nicked. It's security measures. They haven't taken enough of them. I, I don't know what it is, but it's so easy to nick a Range Rover. I mean, I've seen it firsthand. Someone had a customer of ours had a Range Rover SVR they bought from us and it's recorded on a CCTV. The guy went around to the back of the Range Rover, drawed a hole in the boot. He had a ghost. He had everything on there that you can think of. Drawed a hole in the boot, connected some wires, and it started with a jammer in there and bypassed their track assistant, um, which there are, there are ways of stopping um, that from happening. You can go for a more secure track assistant. So we started working quite closely with a company called Tracker, and they have like military-grade equipment to make sure that these blockers don't work. Um, so it's VHF is a signal that they use as opposed to what you get in a factory grade tracker where these blockers and these jammers do actually stop the, the, the trackers from working. So yeah. Land it started themselves. happening with Ferraris as well in London, hasn't it? 48s. There was something silly like 100 to 200 Ferraris nicked over the space of three weeks. What? I Had thought it was like 30. No, way more than that. There was 812 GTSs, 812s, Pistas, 488s. Something happened where a couple of these guys had found out how easy it is to do it and whether it was software that was shared between them. As soon as a couple of people did it, we were talking about four or five of these getting nicked a day. And that's not just London alone. I'm talking within the UK. London, you hear about it so much because you see a supercar in every corner, but it was happening across the UK and um, chop shops were being found with half shunted bodies and body parts sold. Um, Insider knowledge is that a lot of these things were ending up in Russia. There's a massive black market there um, because unfortunately Interesting they're not able to going. use their money over here right now. So yeah, a lot of it was ending out uh, up over there. But yeah, 
it's crazy to think it, someone would do that to a Ferrari. It baffles me when you can get, as you said, an 812 GTS is a fairly rare car and you get one in a, in a unique spec black with a, a stripe on it, say red interior, like the one that you recently sold that I saw on your socials. And it's like, how do they make that car go so missing? So this is what I've heard. They would take the car. Um, it's, it's happened to a good client of mine, actually. He had a Rolls Royce Dawn inspired by music that he bought from me and he loved the car. Two months into him owning it, the car got nicked. He went to go and visit his, his mate and it was parked on the road. And he found the car a few weeks later, but all the body parts were missing. The engine had gone, the gearbox had gone, the wheels had gone, it sat on the axle stands with just the bare chassis alone. And you realize that, hold on a second, you can track the car by the chassis number, you can track the car by the engine number, by the gearbox number. But if you take each and every one of these components, these very expensive components out, you can pretty much achieve the retail value of the car by just selling the parts alone. So these guys are professionals. They're quick. They know what they're doing. They know who they're going to sell it to. They know how to chop down a car very quickly, which is why you have these established chop shops across the country. Because it's always been a problem for watches or in the last couple of years, watch theft and then fake watches is a watch really like how easy is it to print off some paperwork and get a branded box made for something to say, oh, it's got box and papers. But I never expected to see that kind of happening in the supercar world because of how unique pieces can be together. But it is absolutely yeah. <laughs> prevalent at the minute. Because you get, does it happen to Lambos? Haven't heard of many Lambos, no. But then again, you... Have you heard what a V12 Lambo sounds like? Try and nick one of those. I'm wow. pretty sure the whole neighborhood would know you're doing that. So, well, uh, 812s though. 812s, true. Yeah. And all of these cars I've seen on your socials, which are absolutely blowing up at the minute. So would you say, is that where you're putting a hell of a lot of effort as well at the minute into growing your following online? And how important is it to have the social, the social media that you currently have in this day and age, how many deals do you do on socials versus the standard kind of original methods? So it's insane, actually. I did a, a sort of a beginning of year roundup meeting of 2022. And Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. We I can't remember the stat exactly, but it was a case of 70, 60 or 70% of our cars that we'd purchased had come through social media. Um... And I think one thing we quickly realized within the luxury market is you buy yourself a supercar and well, the majority of the market, the reason you buy it is you want to be seen, you want to be heard. It's, it's almost this case of you're buying a car for the clout. Now, match that up with social media 
And that is your instant route to not just worldwide recognition that you bought the car, but almost that, that sort of clout. So if we're big enough on social media and people see like, Oh, do you know what? That's amazing. They sold to this footballer. They sold to that celebrity. They're approaching us thinking, I can't, I would love to buy a car from you. We get messages saying, I can't wait to get a car from you and be standing with that gold ball in the background. Uh, and you understand why the psychology behind it is because they want to feel as though they've made it in life. And if they can do that by buying a car, not just posting it on their own Instagram, but also having an Instagram with a hundred thousand followers, a TikTok with 1.3 million followers showing that this person has just come in and bought the car. You're almost like, wow, I've made it. And you've really sold well. to some pretty incredible people. I saw on your, your social, you've got Tion Wayne. Um, you're frequently DMO. It always seems to be about having fun. There's so many familiar faces. Uh, Digger D come down, bought a car from its second car from you. Yeah, he did one. He's done quite a few things with his other car with us as well. Who would you say is the most memorable and star moment for you in terms of a car sale or something that's just baffled you? It's really hard to say. That, that's a really hard question to answer. You have so many memorable moments in every deal. Some of them are the most easiest deals where it's just quick communication, the deal's done, and, and then you speak the next time they want to buy or sell a car. Some of them, something reaches out to you and you, you're almost like, I'm really interested and intrigued by this person. I'd like to know more about them and you end up becoming friends. Um out with way too many celebrities to just choose one so it's quite a hard question to answer but if if i were to give some sort of indication i i like watching football um so dealing with some big footballers out there was pretty pretty cool um i'm a tottenham supporter and very recently i've done a deal with bentonker who i think is going to be a massive player for us going forward so that was pretty cool handing over the card to him at the tottenham training ground and seeing some of the other players there i think that was that's that's probably up there. 30th or 40th football I've dealt with not necessarily the most biggest prolific player but for me that was pretty cool to deal with uh, with one of my team players because I've even seen you've had the likes of Aguero's old Aventador in stock and some wicked things like that so that is amazing sorry we just had a little break for everyone that doesn't know it does get quite hot in this van so we had just had to get out and recalibrate and there's now a motorbike that's giving it large outside um but this brings me on to i want to start to get in a little bit more about you and your journey with the brand and try and figure out what makes you tick and the way the business ticks off the back of the work that you're doing here and what i find really interesting is you've clearly got a, a huge ambition and drive and you always keep asking yourself the question of how do i improve this brand how do i go forwards so how, what has retained you at GVA over the years and what's held you back from, say, going off and doing it on your own? Is there the good leadership? What is it that's retained you with the brand since that kid started working in the purchasing? It's, once again, quite hard to answer. But the first thing that will come to mind is my belief within the brand. Um my relationship with David, the founder and owner of the company as well, it's a big part to play. Um, but yeah, I mean, what, what GVE stands for um, and what they want to do, or us collectively want to do going forward is to supply some of the best examples out there, to buy some of the best examples and not just be the biggest supplier of supercars and luxury cars within the UK, but to be this one-stop shop across the globe. So the end goal and the end vision of what this company does and what it can do going forward is something that really excites me. So I think everyone sees 
how easy it may be for people to sell cars, but they don't quite see what happens behind the scenes. And you almost look, I've, I've seen this company grow from when I was with the company 10 years ago and we were selling eight cars a month. That was our target to now selling 60, 70 cars a month. 60 stocking, cars a month. Stocking 10 or 16 cars at most in the unit to now stocking 160 cars in. So, Because you mentioned that, that the cars that actually people see in the main space, that's not everything that you guys actually have in stock. No, so we have three showroom staff who are constantly rotating our cars in the showroom. We go from, um, we have three units at the moment, including a storage facility. Um, one of them is our off sales unit where we tend to store some of the cars as well. We've got a storage facility where we keep some of the cars. And then another unit where, um, is actually the old showroom where we were, but that's just, um, at the moment, just storage for some of our cars. So it's super hard to keep every single one of the cars within a showroom that's within London that still has the facilities for people to walk around it uh, and and inspect the car as they'd like to do freely. So hence the reason why we've had to find different locations to swap cars around and um, and have those many staff doing that for us. 70 cars a week. That's a lot of deals. Do you live on I your phone? I wish it were a week. It was a month. A month, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> do you live on your phone? My life, the majority of my life revolves off my phone. Yeah, it's forever going off messages or calls or I feel as though I need to keep it here. I know it's a bit rude, but I like to be there if I need to be there for, for any one of my friends or clients. And you're okay with that relationship of how much you have to be on your phone? Yeah. I don't see it as something that's a burden on me. I see it as something that's part of my life. I, I grow if the amount of deals I do grows and, um, yeah, I've I've now, not just now, so I think very early on in my career, I've realized that the more time I invest into business, the more I'd receive. So, um, yeah, I'm accustomed to it. And what does life look like behind the scenes from you? How do you get away? Well, you must need to escape at some point. There must be a day or a week or something that gets on top of you over the years that you've been doing this. What's your escapism? I'm, uh, well, if you ask anyone who knows me, I'm uh, a bit of a party animal. I do enjoy a drink. I do enjoy the odd holiday here and there. So my stress relief is yes, work hard, but play hard as well. Um, I, I mean, as example, just in the past couple of months alone, I, I treat the sales team and the purchasing team out to a trip to Ibiza as soon as the season opened up and straight after that, we went to more, well, went, went to a stag do in Marbella and then went to put that there sorry mate it's all moved a bit since we moved about <laughs> <laughs> um Marbella Marrakesh with clients and friends and uh yeah I think it's important to have that stress relief there otherwise it's almost like what are you doing what are you doing everything for what are you taking all this stress and what are you working so hard for if you don't have something to release some stress by so yeah for me it, it's it's partying drinking and enjoying myself for now and I'm sure that will change going forward but that's the stage I'm at now. And if that was also, if you were kind of um, brought up, as you said, quite humbly, and you've fallen into clearly quite really successful with GVE, we were just also talking, got an insane 720S outside. Um, I recognised the number plate straight away and made the connections, orange <laughs> like the ceiling light. Um, amazing. And that must be really cool for you to think, holy crap, I've got the 720S in front of me. I'm driving a McLaren from that lad that started in purchasing. 
But with working hard and playing hard, we spoke about this off air before we come on. The last few years, you've been on quite a, well, especially the last year, you've been on quite a journey. Because one of my other guests that came on the podcast, Ross Potter, uh, is an online personal trainer and coach. And he's, I mean, you guys have worked well together, put it, put it that way. So do you want to talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, it's, it was something that clicked with, with inside me. I, I got to probably the worst, no, not probably, it, it was the worst I'd ever been in terms of weight and health um, back end of last year. And a lie, actually, it wasn't something that clicked inside me. It was Ross. Ross came and he was looking to buy a car. And I deep down knew I needed to do something about it, but it was almost like, oh, I'm doing all right. I'm, I'm, I'm doing all right for myself. I think I'm going on the right trajectory. I didn't, health comes itself. As long I'm working hard, I like to enjoy. So I don't need to diet, enjoying good food and going out to good restaurants. It's part of the life. And um, I didn't quite see it as bad of a problem as I now see it as. And I think I have to, I have to thank Ross for that. He was someone who made me really realize that change was needed. And, um, it took six months of him constantly badgering me, um, whether it's through phone calls, whether it's for showroom visits. I mean, he even went to the extent of just saying, I'm coming down to look to see if I want to change my AMG, uh, for something else. And you'd come down just to chat and be like, listen, I really think it's about time you take, take the move, sign up to this and, um, let's sort out a plan for you. And I have to, yeah, I do really appreciate what he did there because had he not constantly been on my case, I wouldn't have realized just where I was heading because realistically I'd have given myself probably about five years and I would not be the same person. I'd either not be here or, um, be in a really bad state. Um, so yeah, at the beginning of the year, I did sign up with Ross and, um, it's still the beginning of the journey, but so far I look unrecognizable. <laughs> how, how, how much like, weight have you lost on your journey so far? Just short 50 kg. Bloody hell. Yeah. So um, it's still a long way to go. Because what I find interesting when I first started and I, I lost my weight loss, I was in the kind of privileged position where I was able to take a time out of work every day. There was a gym five minutes away from my office and it provided the, ease of going to and suddenly changing what I was eating and that and combined bang and it, it dropped off. But that's why I was kind of asking about your phone with someone that is so busy, you know, there's, there's a balance between your online coach. I don't know how this relationship works, but saying, no, George, you can't answer that phone. You've got to do another 10 cows that Trevor, that your health has got to come first. So what's that been like for you? Like actually commit committing. Have you found doing that? Had it just been someone telling me this is what you have to do? I wouldn't have done it. I wouldn't have, have listened. It, it really was something that clicked inside me. And once I valued health more than wealth or more than just day-to-day life, I realized that, do you know what? I'm making excuses. There's time for everything. I, I go to the gym. I put my AirPods in. I'm still on the phone. Um, you don't really have to stop yourself from doing things. I still go out with clients. I still have a drink with them, but I probably limit it to what I would have done before. Still go out to nice restaurants. You don't have to order everything off the menu like I used to. Just limit myself to have a few things. So, yeah, I think you adapt. Like I said earlier on, it's it's adapting to your lifestyle. And right now, my goal and my vision is to be the best form that I can be of my body. So um, I'm just working towards that. And I'm not stopping or 
almost harming any other aspect of my life, whether that's the business, whether that's my future. Um, I'm just making sure that it all fits collectively together to make sure I, I get the best end goal. So do you think in the last few years, do you think that um, change in your health and losing that weight has improved you as a supercar dealer? Honestly, no, because what I was doing a year ago to what I'm doing now with business is very similar. What it has done is made me appreciate life more. It's made me appreciate health. Um, it's made me appreciate the longevity of my life and maybe look towards the future a bit more. Whereas before I was looking at day-to-day life, just as how can I enjoy the day the most? How can I? So, so one thing about me is I value dealing and I value the business more than anything else. I always do that. That's the way I've been. It's been etched into me. And that hasn't changed now. It's just a case of I found a better balance in life. Um, I guess one thing that I could say is it helps me get in and out of the cars a lot easier being this size. That's for sure. But um, yeah, as a dealer, I don't think it's improved me. I think there's always room for improvement, but losing weight isn't one of those. So what's next on your journey? World domination. With the brand? Yeah. With the brand. I mean, that's, that's a vague way of answering it. But the goal is to be the number one supplier of these cars. I'd like to be that point of contact for anyone out there who's either interested in selling their car or looking to buy their car. And it happens so many times now. Someone was calling me a little while ago and they're just looking for advice. They're about to sell their GT2 RS and they're thinking, is now the right time to do it? Should I do it next year? Or calling for advice means that this person trusts me and trusts what I say, which means eventually when he buys his next car, or if he's going to sell his car, he'll come to me. And I'd like to be that contact within everyone's phone book who's within this industry or with uh, buying or selling a car, not just in the UK, but dealing hypers across the globe. What do you think is, if you land a, a new customer that's maybe used another dealer or used somebody else for a number of years. How do you get these new customers and and grow the brand? What do you think it is that say you've done on your touch that sets you apart to be able to grow the brand to where it is today? And what do you think that touch will be going forwards? I think for the brand itself, it's what we offer. No one else offers within the country. Um, We do everything in-house. So We don't have to outsource anything. If anyone's looking to buy something from us, we'll give the most competitive prices because we've got 60 staff members within the company who do everything in-house for us. So that's an easy one. There's no other company does what we do. Myself personally, what I like to say is I genuinely care for every customer I speak to. And my, my vision with dealing with a customer is essentially, I think, I'd like to be their friend or I'd like for them to be my friend going forward because a buying a selling relationship at this end of the market isn't a case of you just do a deal and walk away. It's, it's a big part of your life. You're spending a quarter of a million pounds to half a million pounds to sometimes a couple of million pounds. And you don't do that just blindly. You don't do that just because you love the product so much. You do that because there's a relationship in place. So I'd always give my honest opinion. I would always say if I think something's going to go up or if something's going to drop, I talked someone out today of buying a GLS Maybach because he thought it was an investment. I was like, it's really not the case. That's interesting because there's a fine line 
with talking to customers about that value of money between advising, because there's a lot of dealers that will not advise anybody up for argument's sake. I know collecting cars as an auction platform, they will never tell anybody anything is an investment. But I wouldn't say that's quite the same for you guys. For sure not. No, I'm, I'm constantly analyzing the market. And I think it's important for us as a business to know the trends, to know what we stock in the showroom isn't going to be suddenly plummeting in value, or if we're doing future orders for cars that we're having to buy, knowing that they're going to be going for over list, we're buying the correct cars. So why am I just going to keep that knowledge to myself? Why would I not share that with my clients? Um, you said, for example, collecting cars who don't share that. Maybe that's more of a legality as to why they can't, because they can't provide that information on a website saying, I do think this is going to be a good investment going forward or not. But what I'm doing is personally for myself, is from my own research, is from my own insider knowledge. I'm not guaranteeing it. I'm just saying this is what I think is going to happen going forward. now. A couple of years ago, I called it on, as an example, I called it on the SVs, on the SV Roadsters. I said it at the point where we were selling SV Roadsters for £260,000. And right now, that very car with, let's say, an additional three or 4,000 miles is probably selling for a minimum of £100,000 more. So I didn't gain anything from people who have bought that car and made £100,000 to £120,000 profit while owning it and putting miles in the car. But what I did gain was that trust and them saying, I mean, the amount of people that bought SVs. We, we, I personally sold so many SVs in that time that I was almost thinking, I wanted to count them thinking, surely I've done the majority of the UK allocation of right-hand drive SVs right now because this is insane. We were going through so many. And um, it, was an, it was a proud feeling, not just a case of proud because I was right. It was almost like, do you know what? People are listening and they're winning. And okay, yeah, a bit of, yeah, I'm right. Uh, it paid off. I knew what I was talking about. So the ultimate car question someone online was also asked was Ferrari or Lambo. What's your answer? It's not so easy to answer. It's, there's so much detail you have to go into. For you. Lambo. If it's just for me personally, Lambo. I could see it when you were talking about the SVs. There's just a twinkle, man. You love them. (laughs) You know what? I think... When you see someone's car and see what they drive, I'm a firm believer that it's a visual portrait of what that person's personality is like. So in my opinion, this is my opinion, I could be wrong, but I think someone who buys a Ferrari is a bit more of a classy individual who's not so in your face, um, kind of values the motorsport history and kind of values the heritage behind the brand. Whereas someone in a Lambo is someone who's out there um, wants to make a statement where they go and is a real out there vocal person within the room. That's, that's my opinion. And that's, uh, that's part of the reason why I think I go Lambo. And you've got both Ferrari and Lamborghini and Rolls Royce and Maybach and God knows what out Lexus LFAs, everything behind us in the building back there. But you constantly mention about how you're going to, want to push, and I'm sure you will, GVE Ford, world domination of the brand. There's an Enzo and a P1 in there. So what have you got to sell as your next goal to tick off in your head? It'd be nice to be doing a hypercar a month. I think that'd be the aim. Okay, more consistency. Yeah. So at the moment we're doing hypercars here and there, but I think the real goal would be 
getting on a global platform to do hypercars. So the majority of them are left-hand drive, meaning that it doesn't restrict you just to the UK market alone. You could be selling these cars to the States, to other left-hand drive countries, to the, the Middle East, uh, China. And that's really where I think we need to get into. There's, there's quite a well-known brand out there. I won't mention them, but they are based in a European country. And I really like what they're doing. I think it's, it's really clever. They've got a sales member who speaks a different language of pretty much some of the biggest countries in the world, whether that's Arab, Chinese, Russian. Um, and they sell to the world. Their market's not just that one country or that one continent. It is, we're a worldwide company because we've got such rare cars. We've got collectible items. We've got hyper cars. Um, and without saying too much, I think that's, that's the route. And I'm sure you'll get there. George, I think we've absolutely smashed talking about all the points that make GVE and yourself, the brand and the man that you are. Thank you so much for coming on Road to Success. Thank you. Cheers. Brilliant. Many channels out there end up launching merch stores, but normally these are cheap, low quality items with someone else's logo on you don't even want. For Road to Success, we try to think outside the van. Therefore, we're going to be turning our favourite sayings from our most popular guests into quotes that you can buy as motivational artwork that comes framed, ready to hang on your wall in your space. You can choose to shop via business or sport categories or just buy your favourite guests. Go and check out our new store at www.roadsuccessstore.com or find the links in bios and descriptions. Let's win together. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.